Hello, and welcome back to Juror Number One. I hope you enjoyed last week, um, but I tell you what, this week is so crazy. When I was reading about this case for this week, I was like, oh, it's over now. Oh, wait, no, it's not. And then you're like, oh, it's over now. And then it's, oh boy, is it not. It's one of the craziest cases I have ever heard about. And I've been a true crime fan since I can remember. So, this week, just keep listening, because it's going to keep getting crazier and crazier and changing. So, let's get started. This is a murder in North Carolina. This case starts out in 1985. A family known as the Eastburns were living in Fayetteville. Well, the father was in the military and just got his dream job where he would be transferring to just outside London and taking his whole family with him. But before he went over there, he had to do some training. So he was going to be away for a little while from his wife and kids. But he made sure to call his wife every Thursday. They had a date. They'd talk on the phone, go over their day, connect, you know, just get through this training, and then they're going to live their happy lives over in uh, England. Well, on this Thursday, he called, and she didn't answer, which was very strange because she always made it a point to be home, especially in 1985, where all you had was letters or your home phones. You didn't have cell phones. So she always made sure to be there when she knew he was going to call. Well, this Thursday, she didn't answer, and of course he was worried. So he asked someone to go check on them, and what they found was awful. They found that the mother, Katie, and her daughter, Kara, and the other daughter, Erin, were all dead. The mother had been raped and stabbed 15 times. The kids were bludgeoned to death, but there was one child, the youngest, Jana, that somehow survived. Either she hid from the killer or the killer didn't kill her because she was so young and couldn't identify him. So this poor young girl had been sitting in her crib for three days without food or anything, almost dead from dehydration, but she was saved. So they called the husband and said, there's been a death in the family. They couldn't explain this horrific scene to him and had him travel all the way back with that in his mind. So they said, you just need to get home. So he comes home to find out that his wife and two young daughters had been brutally murdered in their home. So the investigation starts. And they noticed that there was some cash missing the mother, Katie's ATM card was missing, and um, her ATM password had been written down, and that was missing. So the officers 
get approached by a witness. And he comes up and said, I was in the neighborhood and actually talked to somebody that was by this house that night. He said that he met, saw a man. He was tall. He was wearing jeans, a stocking hat, and a members-only jacket, if you remember those things. Members-only jacket. And he was carrying a garbage bag over his shoulder it's very early in the morning. And he says, uh, he actually talks to this man. He says, just get an early start to my day. And he got into his white Chevy Chevette. Remember that. Into his Chevette and drove away. Obviously, this witness had no idea that someone had just been, well, three people had just been brutally murdered inside there. But so he goes on. But then this happens and he goes to the police. And he got a really good look at this guy. And they do a police sketch. So the little more they go into the investigation, they find out that since they were about to move overseas, they were going to uh, find a good home for their dog since they didn't want to take it with them and through the quarantine and all that stuff. So they'd put an ad out for their dog. Well, someone just a few days before had came and got the dog. And so they think this person was the last one to see that family alive. So they go to the media and they put this out and said, whoever adopted this dog, we need to talk to you because you could very well be the last people to see these people alive. Here's where it gets real interesting. There was a man who adopted the dog and his wife said, hey, do you see this on the news? We need to go talk to the police. Well, that man was Timothy Hennis. And he said, okay, well, let's go talk to him. So him and his wife drive down to the police station and say, we're the ones who adopted the dog, but we adopted the dog and, and uh, my husband went to get it. And then he just left and that was it. They were still alive and well. Well, the most shocking thing is whenever Timothy walks in, the investigator says, holy shit, that composite sketch could be a photograph of this guy. You can Google this too. This police sketch from the witness, it looks like it could be a photograph of Timothy. I mean, it is shocking. When you see police sketches, you're always like, oh, that's eh, kind of the guy. This is one of the best police sketches I've ever seen. I mean, it's crazy how much it looks like him. But that's nothing to, I mean, it's something to go on. But I mean, you can't rely just on that sketch. So they talk to him and he says, no, that's all I did. I got the dog and she seemed nice. And uh, I left. And uh, the victim's husband even said that he talked to uh, his wife and after the dog was taken. And she said a very nice man took the dog. So even though that sketch is there, they say, okay, you're free to go. Well, the detective says, I'll walk you out. So they walk Timothy and his wife to his car. 
The detective was shocked whenever he saw Timothy and his wife get into their white Chevrolet Chevette. Remember, I told you to remember that. The same car that this person, the witness, saw. Ooh, that is not looking good for old Timothy, is it? Timothy says, I have no reason to... I have a wife and a child at home. I have no reason to kill this person. He had zero record. He was in the military. I mean, he had no reason to do this. He consented to everything. They took his hair. They took his blood. They took his fingerprints. He said, take it all. I have nothing to hide from you. So... They're like, okay, well, they go and they find out that Timothy, the day after the murder, had a barrel that he was burning something in in his yard, which his neighbors thought were strange, and also had taken his black members-only jacket to the dry cleaner. What? Yeah. Remember that members-only jacket? He had taken that to a dry cleaner. Strange, right? Who's dry cleaning a members-only jacket? So with all of this, they say, this is our guy. And they arrest Timothy, and he's charged with three counts of murder and one count of rape. And the trial begins. Well, this trial would be tough for me. So let's see what you would decide. At the trial, they bring in all of their evidence. They bring in the eyewitness with that composite sketch. And, they, and he says, that is the man that I saw the night that they were murdered outside their house. And he was driving a white Chevette, which was saw at the scene. And... He had just dry cleaned this members only jacket, which was also seen at the scene. Plus, the prosecution has another witness that comes forward. And this woman says that she was at the ATM machine waiting to get money, and the person in front of her was Timothy. And what card was Timothy using there? It was the victim's ATM card. Okay. Well, how much was that transaction for? Well, the transaction was for $300. And it just so happens that Timothy was $300 behind on his rent. And the very next day, he was paid in full. Now, the defense is going to tell you, you think that this man went and murdered a woman and her two young children for $300? A guy who has no history of violence for $300? Come on. You can't possibly believe that. Plus, that witness, her transaction was three and a half minutes after the victim's card was used. Three and a half minutes is a long time. When you're thinking about someone using an ATM, no one just hangs around an ATM 
put your money in and leave. So they're kind of tearing her apart saying that, I mean, you were three and a half minutes after he was there. Like, how could you possibly see that? But she picked him right out of a lineup. So I don't know. That's for you to think about. So now the defense is going to lay it all out there and destroy everything that's in this case, as much as they can anyway. You see, when it came to all the physical evidence they found at the scene, and there was a ton, the blood, the semen, the hair, there was fingerprints everywhere, and none of it, none of it, was linked back to Timothy. They found footprints or shoe prints outside was not his. The fingerprints were not his. The hairs found on the, on the victims were not his. The blood was not his. And at the time, they really couldn't test the semen, but they said that the test they could do was not him. So that is this case. What would you decide from start to finish? You have... An eyewitness that points him there that had no idea who Timothy was, but what he was wearing, the sketch is identical to him, pointed him out in court, white Chevy Chevette, took his coat to the dry cleaner, but on the other end, there's zero physical evidence that links him to this case. Nothing there links him to it. So, what do you think? Innocent or guilty? What would you decide? Timothy was found guilty on all charges. And he was sentenced to death. So, is that what you thought it would be? It's tough because there's, you have the eyewitness, but all of that evidence, none of it pointed to Timothy. But anyway, he was sent to jail and sentenced to die. But this is not where this case ends, and it's not ending for a long shot. So this is where it gets so crazy, shocking. I didn't even know this, a case like this existed. So, three years later, they get the court to overturn the verdict. They said that the prosecution really inflamed the jury by showing these graphic photos next to his picture. Graphic photos of these children, the way they had been murdered, right next to his picture. They said that was not fair, so they gave him a new trial. Well, this time the trial was a little different. There would be some new witnesses that would take the stand. One of them was a newspaper delivery woman who said she saw a short man get into a van leaving the house early that morning. There's also another witness on the stand, and it is Timothy. He gets up to defend himself. And they attacked him, just 
badgered him, wanting him to explode in court, but he did not. One other thing that they brought into evidence was that members-only jacket that they said had dry-cleaned the day after the murder. Well, they took a members-only jacket, put blood on it, then cleaned it, and then took his, his jacket, and they put luminol on both. And his jacket, you could still see where the blood was on the cleaned one, but there was no blood on his. So there was never any blood on that members-only jacket that was so big in the first trial. So after this trial, Timothy is found not guilty. He's free to go. Wow. Yes. Timothy gets to walk right out of that courtroom and back home to his wife and young daughter. And he would go on to live a normal life. So maybe they got the wrong guy. He uh, was promoted all the way to a master sergeant. He served in Desert Storm. He served in Kosovo. Had another child with his wife. Never in trouble. Raising his two kids, he retired from the military, worked in the private sector, just a great life. So maybe he wasn't the guy. Well, some 20 years later, they still hadn't caught anyone for this case. So a detective with new DNA technology wanted to test some of this evidence. Well, they had a swab from the mother Uh, from the rape kit, and they tested that DNA. And wouldn't you know it, they got a match. Finally, a match. The only problem is, that match was Timothy. Yes, oh yes. The man that had been convicted and then found not guilty of these three murders... His semen was the semen that was found inside the mother who had been raped before she'd been stabbed 15 times. It was Timothy all along. But he's already been found innocent. So with double jeopardy, he can't be charged again. They said that that sample was 1.2 quadrillion, quadrillion, that number, quadrillion times more likely to be Timothy than anyone else. What do you do now? Well, here's where it got tricky. See, we couldn't charge him. I mean, we, (laughs) the United States couldn't charge him because of double jeopardy, but they found a little bit of a loophole. You see, if he was in the military, he could be court-martialed and charged with these murders. But he was retired from the military. So what did they do? Oh, well, they recalled him back to active military. He's like, what? No, I'm retired. And they go, well, no, you're being reactivated. And as soon as he was reactivated, he was charged with three counts of capital murder. This time, he wouldn't be so lucky. 
With this DNA evidence, he was found guilty on all three counts and sentenced to death again. But this case still makes me wonder. During this last trial, he says that he had a consensual relationship after he picked up the dog from this woman. And I wonder, I mean, a person who does this horrific of a crime only does it once, then never, ever, ever again, and stays faithful to his wife and all of that. I mean, the DNA is pretty damning, but no, but the hair didn't match his. None of the fingerprints matched his. I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he is guilty. Maybe he's innocent. I don't know. It's a crazy case to be sent to jail, then overturned, then the DNA shows it was actually you. That's for you to decide. So, we'll be back next week with another case. Have an absolutely wonderful week. Thank you.